Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Dino Line Media presents The History of Being Black. Welcome to another episode of The History of Being Black. I am your hostess, Eunice Elliott. And as always, I'm always joined by some amazing thought leaders in our community. And today's episode is no different. It's actually a friend of the program. He's joined us before, Rasul Berry. He's repping uh, Philadelphia. He's repping BK. Brooklyn. He's repping Detroit, but right now he's repping the history of being black. Welcome back to the show, Russell. Thanks for having me again. I'm excited to be here. And I also want to shout out your podcast. We'll do it again at the end so folks can make sure they follow mm-hmm. and support you as well. The Where You're From podcast, where you get a chance to talk to some very interesting folks. Tell us a little bit about the podcast. Yes. So Where You're From, we're excited to basically be at the intersection of faith and culture. So uh, it's called Where You're From because I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I grew up reading comic books. So when the MCU hit, you know, the movie theaters, I was very excited about that. But the, one of the fascinating things that they always have to tell before you get to see who Spider-Man is, you got to know his origin story. You mm-hmm. got to know what brought him to get to that place where he got these powers and he's, you know, and then why is he fighting crime? And you remember, you know, Uncle Ben and he let the burglar go and, and ended up killing his uncle. And then his uncle said, remember, with great power, there's great responsibility. And so now he is this, you know crime fighter and is, you know, a superhero. And the reality is we all have origin stories. We all have all like things that have contributed to the people that we are, things that we've overcome. And where you're from gives you those origin stories of some incredible people who are doing amazing work um, at the intersection of faith and culture. And we're putting that on display so that you can know who they are and be inspired by them and, and motivated to live out your own origin story better. So you've told us about your origin story before in an earlier episode. Um, you're a pastor, you're a faith leader, you're um, a Christian, but you didn't grow up that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so in your origin story, um, can you talk to me about how when we talk about Christianity now in our yeah. communities, Black folks specifically, uh, the history of the church with Black folks and where it used to be as far as community and where you think we are now? Yeah. So, you know, as you said, I didn't grow up in church. And so I really, you know, my spiritual journey uh, coincided with my college experience. I went to UPenn and I majored in Africana studies. And what was interesting was I kind of, you know, struggled in the beginning of like, trying to integrate or understand that these the history uh, and the very ugly history of European imperialism. It's uh, the way in which religion and specifically Christianity was used to uh, colonize and to subject and even as rationales for slavery. And that that was, you know, a significant part of the story of uh, the of America and, and this country and um, and even some of the immediate origins of the black church. And so uh, I struggle with trying to understand that and understanding, too, why it was that people were being disenchanted with that. And not just because of that origin story, but also because of the uh, same kind of stereotypical stuff that I had heard about, you know, uh, hypocrites, 
judgmental people, you know, prosperity, pimps taking money from people in, in the name of God and all of that stuff. And um, and so at the end of my senior year, I had a class in um, African-American literature and we had to read the um, the uh, narrative life of a slave girl, Harriet Jacobs, and the autobiography of um, Frederick Douglass. And what was astounding to me. And up until this point, I still was, you know, growing spiritually and in social activism. I was president of Black Student League and doing all these things. But what was what I stopped me in my tracks is at the end of Frederick Douglass's autobiography, after which he talks about how his slave master became worse and more violent after he, he converted to Christianity. And was that you know, so he kind of rails against, you know, this status quo. And then at the end, he has this appendix in his book where he says, and by the way, let me make the record straight. He says, you know, I love the pure, peaceable Christianity of Christ. And that's why I hate the hypocritical slaveholding, women plundering, he goes on through this whole long list, you know, hypocritical Christian, uh, slaveholding Christian religion of this land. In fact, he says, the two were so different it's the grossest of libels and slanders to call this Christianity. Mm. And what that moment showed me was like, oh, wait a minute. There's another like I'm as I'm reading the story of the great emancipator and these others. And he wasn't the only one. I'm seeing that there was another vision of what the faith was that was not just the historically driven story of the oppressor, but that was also the story of those who were looking to be uh, liberated from their oppression. And that, that story was actually closer to what the Bible actually taught than the way it was misused and distorted um, to justify um, selfish gain. And so that kind of just unlocked so much to me in terms of understanding how to not just look at that particular situation of oppression, but also the other things, the hypocrisy and the judgmentalness and the other different ways in which um, institutional church had been failing the community and see that the that wasn't endemic to itself. You know, there's a difference between what people do and what the faith actually taught. And then that just sent me on a journey of exploring more about that and how we could be about change from within, not just from discarding it from without. And so, so what do you think was the transition? Because I think of uh, our grandparents and our great grandparents, they clung mm -hmm. to the church, you know, so much yeah. more so than I think, you know, our community does now. So yeah. knowing that, I mean, I don't know that they all read the autobiography of Frederick Douglass <laughs> or even have, you know, sought right. out certain information on their own. You are a curious person that you'll hear something and then you'll look into it. And honestly, a lot of people, especially when faith is involved, they do what yeah. mama and grandmama did. So what right. do you think was the transition from, generations, two generations ago, that church was everything to where we are now, based on what you're saying is, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of Christianity and people do a lot of things in the name of Christianity. Yeah. And it's really about finding your own path and figuring out what Christianity means to you. Why did they cling yeah. to it so much then? Yeah, I think um, there's a couple layers to that. Um, one, I think, you know, when you go back to really any time, even in biblical times, that there's this correlation where I think when you are struggling and you know that you don't have everything under your control, you're more likely to be aware of your own need for God than when you are wealthy and you feel like you have everything under control. Mm -hmm. And so that becomes an afterthought. So I think one, just, you know, the, and then God, like, it's, like close to the brokenhearted and to those who are suffering and struggling. And so you always have seen people who have, um, been on the bottom more hungry for God than people who are full and satisfied um, and arrogant with their own 
sense of self. And then, and ironically, part of what builds up the esteem of those who were enslaved or those who were oppressed was that they see the, they, they, they know that there's a judge who's going to be righteous and punish those who have their boot on their neck. And, um, and so I think that that's part of the story is that any, you know, there's a, remember that song, uh, lift every voice and sing, Mm -hmm. um, the Negro national anthem. And the last verse, you know, says, uh, you know, kind of something like, uh, like guide our hearts less with drunk with the wine of the world, we forsake thee. Right. So James Weldon Johnson, who wrote that song over a hundred years ago, had this part where even in the midst, while so much was going on in their community, this is before there was a civil rights movement or anything. He says, you know, God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, you know, thou who has brought us thus far along the way, you know, keep us on the path. But then he says, lest our hearts drunk with the wine of the world, we forsake thee. So he points out the fact that we can just get drunk off of our own success and of our own selves. And that can just cause us to forget God. And so I think that that's a part, but that's not the only thing that would be oversimplistic. Um, well, I, I'm also, I, I uh, minored in sociology. And so I'm very curious about trends in, in society. And so one of the things you have to look at is that over the last 50 years in particular, there's been the secularization of the United States and the West in general. And so a lot of, um, it's more normal now to, and more even valued to be one that is not one of faith than it is to be one that is tethered to faith and, and just the world in which we live. And so the, the questions that people ask are different, but then on top of all of that, I'm just going to be front. I'm not going to front here. I'm be honest that, you know, as a pastor, I know that the church, there's a lot of people who've suffered church hurt that even in spite of all those other things, you know, the, you know, their own maybe wealth or lack thereof or their proximity to secularization that they've just got hurt by people at the church. And so they're like, you know what, I'm out, I'm tapping out, I'm finding other ways and um, or have questions that have never been answered. Um, so maybe there aren't any answers to those things. And I think all of those things are kind of are factor in into why it's hard now. The way I'll put it this way, I'll say this one last piece is I think having faith was like a home game in 1920. Mm-hmm. Right. Now it's an away game in mm. 2021. Like and what I mean by that, if you ever played sports or watch sports, you know that teams always do better at home than they do on the road because the crowd is cheering them on. They're quiet when they're hitting free throws. They're loud when the other team is trying to hit three free throws versus when you're at an away game, the crowd is hostile. They're yelling at you. They're discouraging you. They're cheering when you're suffering or when you're struggling, they're making noise when you're trying to focus. And that's the difference of living in faith, you know, a hundred years ago versus living in faith now. That is such an interesting example of home game versus away game. Uh, but even when you were saying that, you know, the the, the struggle uh, probably causes you to have greater faith and then in the struggle that Black folks have had in this country historically. Yeah, when we start feeling like we were making it, then we didn't feel necessarily the need to have that uh, strong sense of faith. But also, I think, you know, I, I think right around the, the Civil Rights Movement and the Voting Rights Act, when Black folks started getting more rights, so-called rights, um, it, it kind of felt like it broke up the community because we didn't just have to cling to each other anymore. It was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm accepted over here, but it's mm-hmm. like, okay, but oh, but where you were is still important. Like we still have to stick together. And that's my personal view on it is that 
there's so much that we lost in community when we so-called became welcomed everywhere or it was illegal to keep us from certain spaces. Man, there's a whole lot of uh, ways in which we can look at and, and lament what was lost when we were uh, tighter knit communities. Um, even when you look at something like the underclass and, and, and systemic poverty, you know, um, in the past, when, and again, I'm not celebrating when people didn't have the right to right, live where they right. wanted to live, but there are unintended consequences. There are negative things that happen or, and, and, but I think as a, again, as a leader in the church myself, even though, those other things are true. I focus on taking responsibility for the fact that we got to do better at reaching out to people in a with a relevant message that welcomes people in, as opposed to um, looks down on people because of how they're dressed or because of you know uh, you know where they were the night before or what they did you know and and being at a place where there, there's an emphasis on grace. And, and love because that's I think God's perspective on us. And so um, and and I think learning and listening uh, to other people's stories and sharing our our scars as well as our triumphs mm -hmm. is an important part of normalizing the fact that everybody got scars right. as well as their triumphs. And that's what we try to do with where you're from. Um, I think when we talk about how close-knit we used to be as a community, I think of the the village, right? The village raising the child where it used <laughs> to be you were fine and you expected someone else to whip your kid if you saw them get out of line. We don't feel that anymore. You know, you come to me. Don't, don't, don't you deal with my child. How much of that you feel is valid, whether it's in the community, whether it's in our schools, whether it's in our churches? Like how much responsibility does the church specifically have in our actual lives to kind of come and snatch? us up sometime when we might need it or is it just a hand yeah. come to me if you need me type thing yeah no that's that's a, gr a great question i think about the uh concept mbutu you know i am because we are you know um and there's uh, a beauty to the fact of the church um the the greek word is ekklesia which means the called out ones or the, you know the gathering they're called out of one thing the world and they're called together and as human beings, we're, we're, we're social beings. We're, you know, uh, we are made to be in community with each other. And one of the challenges, I think even of the pandemic, one of the biggest challenges is what it means for us to be individualized or separate or, or, or feeling like we're, um, disconnected from each other. And one key component that church at its best offers is a rich sense of community, a rich sense of encouragement, of being seen, of being encouraged. You know, like how we used to always say, you know, when, when folks, when the kids are doing a song or somebody's singing and they off key and everything, like, that's all right, baby. Let, you the, Lord keep praising. Let the Lord, you know, like we need that, right? right. It, it, you know, we don't always need the Apollo moment, you know, where right. you're just getting booed because you don't sound good. And, um, and so I think that that space of encouragement, of being seen, of people seeing things in you that you don't see in yourself. I remember uh, one of the mothers of the church came up to me and was like, you are a preacher. You, and I was like, you are tripping. I am 23 years old. Like, I, I am not. That's the last thing I want to be as somebody's pastor. Mm -hmm. And I actually thought there was something wrong with her for saying it. And then I'll, years later, I'm like, she was. She saw something in me I didn't see in myself. And that's one of the things uh, that that being part of a community, especially a faith community, uh, is giving you that. I think sometimes we've lost. And, and I think that's where we struggle as a result of losing it.
I do want to say you will not get booed if you do sing a Jesus song on the Apollo. That's, that's, <laughs> that's you gotta true. Do. If you're doing a, <laughs> a and you start getting booed, you gotta say, "Wait, give it up for Black Mothers." Black Mothers, wait, wait, wait. Yo, 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 Black Women, yo, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a way to stop them at the Apollo from getting you off the stage for sure. So for where we are today, you know, we have we mentioned the pandemic. We still have so much racial tension. We still have so much polarization of communities for different reasons. What what would you say would be the answer? Like if you could just, you know, say, okay, I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna sprinkle this just Jesus on the world. <laughs> what form yeah. would it take and what do you think would be effective? Yeah, yes, I'm asking you to fix the world. What's up? What, yeah. what would you do? Mm, in a in a, in a few moments. Mm-hmm. Um I would say slow down mm. and pause. And this is, I'm talking to myself too. Mm-hmm. I, I have to, every day is a struggle when I get out of bed to slow myself down enough to be centered, to be grateful, to pray and praise God for waking up another day. I, and then I have to beat down the thoughts. I have to beat down, oh, you got this email to respond to. Oh, you got this thing to jump into. And it's like, slow down mm-hmm. and let me listen I listen, put on some worship songs, you know what I mean? Put my 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 Maverick City, my Travis Green, my, you know, whatever, you know, it's, it's going to help me get there. Kiara Shear, shout out. And uh, slow down and engage and, and listen before I speak. Mm-hmm. And I, when I say speak, I mean, just like even what I'm, what am I putting out into the world? Let me take in first and be poured into before I pour out. Mm-hmm. And that process is what I think when the more and more we do that, the more, especially when calling out to God and, and, and recognizing that he is the one that fills, I think the more we can stay filled up. I think there's just so many of us, we're tired, we're, we're drained because we're pouring out all the time and we're not allowing, you know, the divine to pour into us. And Jesus said, you know, I come that they may have life and have it more abundantly full, mm-hmm. overflowing, but we have to take the time to drink of that living water before we can actually have access to it. It can exist, but if I don't take a sip, then I'm just going to get drier and drier and drier. And so I would just say, slow down, pause, take a moment, Selah. That's what that means in the, in the Hebrew and the Psalm, Selah, pause, reflect. And then that gives you the ability and the strength to now pour out. I think that's what we saw last year. Um, when the pandemic first hit the United States and then George Floyd happened in May. I think yep. that resonated with people because we were all paused, right? Yep. We didn't have the distractions that we normally have for all the horrors that go on in the world every day. There was nowhere you can look away from for that eight minute, 46 seconds or nine minutes and two seconds. You mm. couldn't look away. You, you weren't busy. You were at home. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why it resonated in that way that we were all paused and we're still on pause. And so I think we've gone from the pause of reflection and um, being able to receive information and process it in ways that we never have before, because we're so busy and running and, and goal oriented. So now I think the, the, the secondary part of still being in the pandemic is that people are forcing the play instead of still just appreciating the pause. Yo, let me tell you, and I, I'm I'm just going to be honest. I like to keep it real. So anything that I'm saying, I'm saying to myself first. Let me tell you how bad it got for me between like I got busier during the pandemic because instead of being in New York where I got to get on a train and walk to someplace and go to this meeting to that meeting, all of a sudden I could stack up meetings back to back to back 
just close mm-hmm. out of the Zoom, open up another Zoom and be, and I literally was sitting down talking for 12, 14 hours, wow. you know, in, on my computer. And then when George Floyd happened, our church organized a, pro- a protest. We're organizing social justice discussions and, and plans. And it got so bad that my lower back started hurting because I was sitting all the time. I had to, I, I've had to go to physical therapy uh, mm-hmm. on top of my own health, mental health therapy that I do. Like now I got to do it on my back and it was like, yo, I got to really like slow down. And so for some people, things picked up in the pandemic because it was just easier. I don't have the travel time now. I just right. go from one you know, clip to the next. And so it's so important for us to take that moment and to take time for ourselves to just process who we are, what where we're at, what we're doing and uh, put your feet on the ground. So now I take walks in the morning, you know, and that's been really helpful for me to just be connected with my, with a sense of space and where I'm at. And it's something, cause I used to always run. It's something about walking that is slower and I can take in my environment more. Mm-hmm. And that just helps center me in the day so that now I'm like, I pray while I walk, I listen to my worship while I walk and I'm like, okay, all right, now let's get in this thing. Cause I've slowed down and I've engaged before I, you know, have jumped into the next thing. So I think that's a, such an important thing for us to learn as we get into these like healthy rhythms that I'm not just working and grinding all the time. Right. And, and understanding the difference between being productive and being busy. A lot of folks are just they're not being productive, you know, yes. that's a whole word. It's a whole word. I was looking <laughs> in, the, in the camera at myself when I said it. Amen. Uh, now tell us again, uh, you have a newly launched podcast, Where You're From. Tell us mm-hmm. how we can listen to it and support. Yes. Yeah, so uh, Where You're From is wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can listen to it in on our website, whereyou'refrom.org, where, Y-A, from, dot O-R-G. Um, you can follow us um, on Instagram, Where You're From podcast. Uh, we announce every episode uh, on Twitter, Facebook, just, you know, look for where, why, a from, and that whole aspect of stopping and reflecting. I, I mean, I've had these incredibly rich conversations with amazing people, artists, scholars, activists, um, you know, mental health experts, count, uh, professors, writers, and they're just inspiring ways in which you want to talk about the history of being black. We just talk to some folks that have that history, are that history, and really connect that from the culture standpoint to the faith standpoint and shows how those two things are related. Because like I said, one of the things that I recognize that the church needs to do a better job is showing the intersection of faith and culture, showing the relevance of these things. And um, one of our, our first guests, uh, Lisa Fields uh, of the Jew 3 Project, she's a perfect example of somebody who's doing that. She's a millennial that's taking the Facebook and, and YouTube to, to really engage with people to help them understand why they believe what they believe, uh, specifically Black folk and dealing with the different questions that come up. And those are the type of conversations that we're having throughout, you know, from all the different standpoints. So uh, it's a great way to enter into other people's story to listen. And I definitely invite folks to listen to where you're from. Congratulations on that. We're super Thanks. excited um, to, to hear your voice beyond just on our show. You know, we ain't selfish. We'll share you with you. <laughs> the rest of the world. Um, we always like to ask our guests to leave us with a hashtag be the change, but you've given us so many, even if it's just pause, if it's take a walk, if it's meditate and pray before you go to the next thing, I'm just going to call all those the hashtag be the changes for this episode. You yes. A lot of great action items that we can, we can take on. So Russell Barry, thank you so much again. I, I really enjoyed talking to you. I love whether it's a history historical reference or a cultural reference or a biblical reference, you are 
a man full of information. <laughs> so I receive it from you and I appreciate you sharing it with me and with our audience. And for our listeners, we really appreciate you always supporting the history of being Black. So make sure you take care of yourselves until we talk to you next time. Take care. Thanks. The History of Being Black podcast is hosted and produced by Eunice Elliott. Associate producer, Ariel Mancibo. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. And on IG and Twitter at History of Being Black. The History of Being Black podcast is a mean old lion media production. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.